Outrageous Love, the podcast. Welcome to our final episode of season two. Welcome to our final part of our three-part series, The Educrats, where we have a very special guest, Ben Kingsbury, who works for the California Department of Education, and he will be representing for the Educrats today um, for this episode. Um, I'm excited to be with you always and honored and humbled for the opportunity to just have your listening ear and your open mind and the willingness in your heart to give outrageous love to the students who need it the most or what we call be culturally and linguistically responsive or validate and affirm. We're going to get started as we always do by having you tell your faces that you're happy. If you're in a public spot right now, just look up and uh, just smile at somebody. I don't care where you are. Just go ahead and look up and smile at somebody. Also, I'm going to try to get you to get someone to ask you, what are you so happy about? Okay, so we're going to do our affirmation for showing ourselves some love. We're going to kind of piggy or steal from the old and you're happy and you know it song, which has been in my head. And what I want you to do is I want you to kind of sing it to yourself when you're happy and you know it. Clap your hands, then clap, stomp your feet, boom, boom. Then I want you to throw your hands in the air, okay? And you got to do it in a way that somebody will look at you and say, "Uh, are you okay? Or what you so happy about or what you celebrating, right? And then you're going to just tell them something that you feel like that you feel excited about that you feel good about that you're feeling you know great for yourself you're just going to share that with them okay so here we go if you're happy and you know it clap your hands stomp your feet boom boom now throw your hands in the air okay somebody should be looking at you right now are they looking at you are they looking at you Okay, if it didn't work this time, try it later on. And your goal is to have them ask you what's going on or why are you so happy or why are you throwing your hands in the air? And you're going to tell them, this is how I'm loving myself. This is what I'm proud of myself of. This is what I've been doing. Okay. All right. Just give it a shot. Just give it a shot. Okay. Keeping with the song theme, we're going to show some love to someone else by pulling from our legend, Stevie Wonder. You know the song, I just call. To say I love you. So I want you to I want you to look somebody up and uh, you don't have to sing it, but I just want you to send them the message. I'm just emailing you to say I support you. Right. I'm just texting you to say I love you. I'm just whatever it is, whatever it is. Just just go ahead and do that for me. Show some love to someone by just saying I ain't got nothing else to say. I'm just calling to say I love you. I'm just texting you to say I care. I'm just emailing you to say I support you. Whatever it is, don't say anything else. Just say this is the only thing I want. This is the only thing I need to say. Okay? All right. Those are our three affirmations. Hopefully you will follow through with me and give it a shot. Bring a little energy and love into the world because we we need that, right? It's one thing. We're just in a stage of one thing after another, as you know, in terms of, you know, what's going on in in, uh, Ukraine and Russia and all of that. You know, it's just one thing after another. So we want to we want to be mindful of that. Now, what I want to do is I want to uh, segue to Dr. Holly's two cents. And I want to talk a little more about our focus on the bureaucracy, you know, 
county education departments, state education departments. And here's the real question. Here's what I'm here's what I've been thinking. Now, first of all, I want to give credit to the people who have, you know, been on the podcast and sort of given us their perspective. And I think you will appreciate Ben's perspective as well. But here I had to think about what am I really getting at? Because I haven't really talked about it. Here's what I'm getting at. Here's my big question. How long do we give the bureaucracy? How long do we give the institution to continue to fail before we, let's say, rebel? I just wanted to rhyme that. Okay. Like how many how many years do, do does the institution get? How many how many attempts does the bureaucracy get before we say enough? Right. And what I mean by enough, I mean the push for independent schools. We I mean, I think we're kind of trying to get there with charter, but that's a whole nother episode right there in and of itself. I'm saying something that's more just related to a public acknowledgement if the institutions or the bureaucracy is really working. And do we get to continue to fail? I've always said that if schools were hospitals, they would have closed the hospitals down already because of the rapid failure, if you will. We wouldn't be allowed to just continue to operate. If we were if we were airports, we would be closed because of all the planes, you know, falling from the sky. You know, I'm not trying to I don't like that particular analogy since I fly so much, but I'm just trying to I'm just trying to make the point. So my question has always been, why does the bureaucracy of education get to just continue regardless of its success rate, regardless of its marginalization of of people of color as well as other people? It's something that we don't we don't quite understand. And that's that's why I'm saying and talking to people in the belly of the beast. How do they do it? How do they manage? And by the way, this question was asked about our legal system. I just want to let you know that it was asked about our legal system, about our medical system. And the question that was put out by the moderator on this panel was, should we close it down? Should we shut it down? Should we raise it and start anew? And I think to each person on the panel, they said yes. Right. They didn't have an educator on that panel, though. And so I'm trying to just throw the question out to you. Why do we continue to operate? In failure. Now, I have my own answers for that. I'll give you one answer. One answer is some people would say, well, we're actually not failing, right? It's being overblown. That, that's one answer that, I, that I've heard before. One answer would be that public education is the foundation of just part of what the United States is as a nation. You know, it's one of our markers, just, you know, offering free public education, right? That's an answer I heard before. So in, that's, in essence, too big for starting over, too big to re totally overhaul, right? You know, it's kind of like, quote unquote, the government. So th- these are answers that I've heard before. But I'm asking you, I wonder what your answer is. Why do we continue to work in a system that has failed us in essence, right? We always throw out this number, 220 years or 240 years, but... How many more years do you get? You know, at what point do you say enough? I'm saying enough in terms of parents. I'm saying enough in terms of if you are working in the system or we do we just continue and in effect keep hope alive. Right. And what I heard from our three guests is the latter. We keep hope alive. So knowing that we have people like 
Myra, like Dr. Cat, like Ben in the system, I'm writing that Keep Hope Alive because my optimist realist self tells me that we really need to maybe shut it down and start again. I mean, you know, whatever that means. And I'm saying that in the abstract, not in terms of a practicality. So I want to leave that question with you. And I'm very interested in what your response would be. Why should we continue to give this system an ongoing chance to serve all students equitably when there's been not enough evidence to demonstrate that it can? Okay, that's that's the question I want to leave out there for you. And that's why we're focusing on the educrats. So the last educrat that we're going to talk to is Mr. Ben Kingsbury. Ben and I go way back because I first met him when he was a teacher at 99th Street Elementary School in Watts, California. And we have been, you know, in and out of each other's sort of sphere, if you will, for the past, you know, what, 25 years. So Ben is a longtime colleague and friend. He is currently an education program consultant. Now, how's that for a bureaucratic name? For the California Department of Education, where he manages federal program monitoring reviews across California. He also updates internal protocols for interdepartment coherence. Woo! And if that ain't bureaucratic, I don't know what is. Prior to that, for eight years, Ben was a TK-12 site administrator for the Washington Unified School District, where he was a principal, assistant principal, um, at where he was a principal at the elementary level and a assistant principal at the high school level. He's also been an instructional coach for Action Learning Systems. And that was actually the last time that he and I sort of connected when he was with Action Learning Systems. Has been a teacher uh, for the Aspire Public Charter Schools. Where I know him best and most from, though, is his work as a teacher at 99th Street Elementary School, where we work together in the Academic English Mastery Program, which is an excellent program that, you know, was devoted to serving the underserved. Ben is all the way California. He received his Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy from Cal State Long Beach. He received his Master's of Arts in Educational Leadership from Cal State Sacramento, Sac State, as we say. And he got his administrative credential from Sac State as well. National Board certified as an early childhood journalist. In other words, he is an all around. I call him the all around educator. And now he is an educrat in the belly of the beast, and we're we're eager to hear his perspective. So without any more introduction, let's welcome my friend, my colleague, Ben Kingsbury to Outrageous Love, the podcast. Ben Kingsbury, let's run some love. Welcome, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Glad to have you. Um, we go way back. Uh, I want to say, I know it's at least 20 years, uh-huh. but this is my 30, 30th year in education. I'm celebrating my 30th year. So I know it's somewhere between 20 and 30 years. Back back from the what I call the OG AMP days, you and Daniel and uh-huh. other folks, man, just Lawrence, just setting it off. And so 
it's first of all a blessing that we're still connected and I'm I'm really grateful now that you are in the belly of the beast, California Department of Education, <laughs> which I'm sure is one of the probably, if not the biggest, but one of the biggest departments of education. I'm imagine in the country, you know, outside of like Florida, Texas, I don't know. Um, so that's where we want to start. You know, what is it like being an advocate for cultural responsiveness, for equity? What is it like working in a thick bureaucracy as CDE? <laughs> well, so um, I would share there's there there's just challenges, but there have been in every organization that I've worked in, in education. So, you know, I just, just kind of see that as a content constant. It's, it's just large. And so it's, but at some point, you know, there's amazing people that work in the CDE and there's a lot of like-minded people. So it's really connecting with those people. And I was lucky to come in when we were getting a new state superintendent that was very interested in equity and sort of being able to use that lens to support students across the state. Right. And, you know, he, he wasn't expecting a pandemic. So he got, he got that pretty early on. And, and so in the first year he set up a system where there were, there was a, some groups that were meeting and I volunteered because I kind of wanted to be part of it about what things are possibilities for us to do at the CDE and, you know, ranging from programs to data that we collect to, you know, trainings that we could deliver, you know, just really opening up and brainstorming, like, how can we support black and brown kids across the state? You know, and I was part of that group, you know, initially, we sort of met several times. And so one of the things that's that's already come out of the state superintendent supporting is, you know, he he's really looking at increasing the, the amount of African American men that teach in the state, right? And so and, you know, you and I have both been in a lot of schools in in, in California, I've seen a lot of instruction and, you know, I certainly haven't seen a lot of African-American men teaching. Right. So that's, it's, you know, it's just a great system to put in place and it's a matter of, right, putting in systems and fundings and all those things are coming together. But, you know, when things happen at a state level, you just have to be patient, right? So, so that, that planning and being a part of that and, you know, lending, lending my voice and energy and, 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 you know, like the more people that sign on to it, it, it gives it weight and credence, right? And so it, it helps that move forward. And then it's like, you're, you're planning things that are going to grow and you're waiting. Right. And you, you might wait years, right. right? You know, it might take several years for that system to get in place and then to start, you know, producing more teachers, you know, in, in a, in a, in a system that would take several years after that. And so it's, yeah, you sort of feel like when, when things happen at a state level, you do a lot of planning and organizing and advocating and you have to be patient while those things bear fruit. So, so let me ask you this, and I, this is a very tough question. And so what do you do when you have a system that's saying be patient and wait when the children can no longer wait? Yeah. So I would share. So some, some things really, did move hard and fast, right? So when the pandemic hit and, you know, so all the kids are going home and at some point, like virtual schooling is supposed to start everywhere. And, you know, and I work with districts all across the state uh, just because the the department that that I'm in deals with sort of um, districts using federal money. And all across the state, 
you know, it came up. It's like, so we don't have enough Chromebooks for students to do virtual learning. And even if we got Chromebooks for every kid, not every kid has the internet. And so one of the things that was really noticeable to me is the state superintendent just, he just took it on. And both working with the people in the CDE as well as, you know, outside partners and organizations, you know, there, there was a really hard and fast push to get every kid access. And that happened at a, you know, at a rate faster than, you know, I've, I've probably seen anything happen. And, but it was because it was a necessity, right? You know, like if, if you say a kid can't go to school because they don't have a computer, like, yeah, that's that, like, you can't do anything else. You can't, you can't do anything. Right. Right. And so I, I feel like there, there are some things that are, are not victims of gradualness, right? So that, you know, for me, there's, there's always that famous King quote about like, like be, beware of gradualism, right? The, you know, the people that want to do just a little bit of change at a time and, and be very incremental. Um, and so, yeah, I, f- I feel like there, there are situations when, when it is absolutely necessary that things don't need to move that slowly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that for me and those of us on the outside, we were very surprised pleasantly how all these things that were taking so long to be put in place, such as, you know, like Internet infrastructure Mm -hmm. happened so quickly with the pandemic, as it should have, by the way. The issue, though, became, will we continue with that same sense of urgency? Yeah post-pandemic and it sounds like you're i just want to make sure are you saying that you think that you're forecasting sort of a fallback to that gradualness or you think it's going to be contextualized meaning there are going to some things we're going to be able to move fast with and other things are going to still be part of the the slowness yeah so i think i think it's both right so one of the things that sort of comes up in my mind and, and from from my experience as a site administrator, for example, right? So I spent spent eight years at, a, at, at school sites as an administrator. And, you know, one of my biggest problems and issues, right? So space was a premium. And I remember one time asking my chief business officer, hey, um, you know, how can I get more space at my site? And so after he stopped laughing, he told me it's like $500 a square foot to build any space on my site. Wow. And, you know, and in my head, I'm calculating out like, okay, a small room would be, oh, yeah, so that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right? right. I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm not getting more classrooms. Right. And so then it's like, okay, so I'm not getting that. Right. How do I, how do I do more without kind of that additional space? Right. And so let's say, you know, if, this, if the state wanted to move really fast and say, Hey, so, you know, every school is going to immediately go to offering full day transitional kindergarten for, for all students in that age group. Plus kids in kindergarten are no longer going to be half day. Everyone has to go full day. You know, my, my school would have been, you know, needed three more classrooms. Right. right? And so then it's like, and, you know, I, I was at a site that physically couldn't put more temporary classrooms in as well too. So then I would have to have those students would be somewhere else. And then we, we would have all those temporary classrooms springing up again on playgrounds and right. So there, there are some things that just don't move fast. And when you do move fast, there's collateral damage that you have to be aware of.
So I, I feel, I kind of, I feel that urgency, right? And there's some things that just need to happen and you press and you want it to happen right now, but you have to be very aware of like, what are those things that if we do move that fast, we have to have things in, in place ahead of time. Right. Right. And so if you know that you're going to, you know, turn on the light switch and say, Hey, every kid in California is going to get full day kindergarten. Then you, you then need to say, okay, so you ask districts five, six, seven, eight years ahead of time, you know, how much more room do you need? Right. And, and, and actually it's pretty easy just to, just to figure it out. Right. And then, you know, here's the funding that you have to create that extra space. Right. right? Got it. You're planning years in advance, right? You, you just have to know how all those things come together. Right. And, right. and there was a time I remember when, um, it's like when school districts have to adopt a new curriculum. Right. And so like we want curriculum staying fairly fresh, but it's also a big expense Yeah, at a district right. too. Right. And so it's, right. that all takes, it's, it's all planning and organization and it helps if it's on a very regular cycle, right. Cause then districts can plan for it. And, and so I feel like there's, there's, there's a lot of those things that just happen on very predictable cycles and it's not necessarily fast, but it's knowing yeah when you need to be fast. Right. And, right. and making that happen. But, you know, I was, I was also aware that when we moved really fast and got every kid, you know, all those resources, you know, it, it does make you wonder how we couldn't have done that before. Right. Or why, why we didn't do that before. Right. Yeah. That, yeah that's <laughs> Right. That's exactly where I'm, that's exactly yeah. where I'm, I'm coming from with it. Yep. Yep. Well, let's do this, man. Let's let's jump into your journey to responsiveness, as we say. And let, let's start off with the first uh, question we asked folks, which is, like, how early did you know? Like, I like for people to take us back to the early years. Mm. And uh, when did you kind of get a sense of, like, you know, this was in your heart, this was in your space in terms of, you know, equity, culture, responsiveness, whatever you would be calling it in your early years? Right. Yeah. So right from the get-go of my first year of teaching which was as hard. I think I had a headache for the first three months of teaching. And um, yeah, I just remember it being really challenging and notice, you know, like all of the things that I didn't know how to do became very apparent. And so, um, you know, I was, I was kind of thinking a little bit about this. So I just started looking for like, what do I need to be able to do? Right. So at, at, at some point there's like, like, what don't I have? What do I need to be able to do? And so really quickly, the, the, there were people that caught my attention that could do all the things that I wanted to be able to do, right? And so, you know, and I'd see them out of the playground, I'd see them meeting, you know, I'd see them, see them interacting with their students. And, and I was like, okay, I like, I need what they have. And that's, and, you know, and, and for me, so all those people were involved in the, you know, academic English mastery program. And so that just led me right, right into it. Right. And I was, you know, I just jumped in with both feet because I like, I knew, and, you know, I, I, I saw what my students were struggling with. I saw what I was struggling with and I knew that I needed to know more and be able to do more, you know, and I saw people that could do those things. And then, yeah. So then it was just like jumping in. It's like, I need to go to every training I can go to. Right. I need to know as much as I I can. So let me do this. What, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna, we're going to jump back and then we'll come back to this point. Okay. Cause I want to, I want to ask that first question more in a biographical way. Like take me even back before maybe 
you became a teacher, just in terms of like even in college or in your own K-12 schooling, where you even just made some realizations for yourself, even before that first year in teaching? Yeah. So, well, I'd, um, I guess it's fair to say I had a pretty non-traditional K-12 experience. I, uh, when I was two, my, my family moved overseas, right? So my, my dad got a job with an international oil company and, uh, we moved to Saudi Arabia. Right. And so, so my, my first schooling, right. Um, I went to kindergarten in both, both Holland and my first kindergarten was in Beirut. Wow. Lebanon. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and, uh, I was in a dual immersion, Arabic English program where my sister and I were the only native English speakers. Wow. Right. And, um, and I joke, I tell people, it's like, I was so good at kindergarten. I got to do it again the next year when we moved to Holland. <laughs> um, then we went back to Saudi Arabia, right. First grade, second grade, third grade. And, and so, you know, I, I moved back to the U S when I was 10 and yeah, so things were really different and, and I didn't realize at the time, right. So there's, there's a, there's a certain kind of privilege that you get sort of living and being able to travel overseas and kind of understanding the world, not just from books, but like you've been to those places. Right. Right. Um, and then also my, my schooling in Saudi Arabia, right. Just cause it was, um, you know, the, the, the oil company to get qualified people to work there had to offer really good, um, educational program. And so they just threw money at it. Right. And so, um, I remember my dad telling me, you know, after we moved back to the States, I think it was a teenager that, you know, that teachers could really get anything they wanted. Right. And, and, and in my mind, I think of it now as an educator, it's like, can you, can you imagine being a teacher and just like going to an administrator and be like, Hey, here's the list of things I need. And they're like, okay. Right. right. And those like, right. like, like what, like whatever you need, you get. Right. Right. Um, right. Like there, there were no bake sales. There were no, there were, you know, I think it's like, Oh, there were, there were no bake sales in the, in the schools in Saudi Arabia that I went to. Right. Um, right. Right. And, and then, you know, so then I'm back in the U S and it's, you know, I was going to school in sort of suburbs, right. That I would say were pretty, pretty white and pretty affluent. And, you know, it, it, it it's always one of those things that stands out because yeah, there, there were just, just big differences. And, you know, and I think about now, you know, I think of the schools that I taught in and like my, my high school had, there were, there were two African-American boys in my, high school right i know mm. they're both high there was there was tony and thomas is it wow yeah and 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 then you know so then college was really different and then i remember you know starting to teach and so you know i had experiences with a lot of different cultures and 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 part of it too is like i come from um a bicultural background as well right so my my mom was uh, born and raised in iran moved to the u.s when she was 26 right and her culture and the way her culture works is very different than my father's, right? So I always, I grew up with this large contrast. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of experiences with cultures, but when I started teaching, you know, at 99, uh, I had uh, very little experience with both African-American culture and and Hispanic culture, right? So most of my Hispanic students were Mexican, but I had students from El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. Sure. um, and I didn't have any of that experience as well, too. And so, sure, um, yeah, it really it it was a lot of learning had to happen. One one of the things that you know Noma Lemoyne used to tell us is that a lot of the teachers who bought into AMP they typically had 
some type of global perspective. Mm-hmm. She didn't she didn't use those she didn't use those words, but that's what she meant, right? Like mm-hmm. they were they they were coming with something more than maybe a traditional urban experience, quote unquote. And that it, it, it didn't matter it didn't matter racially, right? And and a lot of times, to be honest with you, Ben, these conversations would come about around why certain white teachers were buying into AMP versus <laughs> versus why why right. why why and why some black teachers weren't and Noma would say it has to do with the the, the previous you know their life experience their education experience yeah. and when I'm listening to you she's in my ear um, mm-hmm. because there were a couple of teachers in AMP who had a very similar background to yours and totally bought in so I, I think that's I think she was very wise in in noting those um distinctions in terms of who bought who was buying into amp and who wasn't so like i I grew up with that whole like being being able to adapt to other cultures right you know and so it was just learning what the new cultures were right but yeah i didn't have to be convinced to do the right the 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 shift exactly yeah yeah and that's the point that was the point that she was making right Mm -hmm. um so now let's go forward and this is our second question really your moment of recognition, like I call it the slap in the face when you when it really, really hit you. And I know like coming to Watts, coming to 99th Street, there are probably so many points. But when did it uh, really like like, wow, students are not being educated equitably and I got to do something different. Do you remember that exact moment? You know, I, I I think there was just a stream of them. But of the of the of the things that really cemented. Right. <laughs> That um, so my first year, I I had a I had a first grade, second grade class. I sort of split half and half, and I remember. So at the time, uh, LA Unified gave their standardized test to first graders as well. <laughs> right, um, right. And I this was that. before the CST right. came into place, and so so I gave this assessment, and I found out later. I think that we we got the assessment from Texas. So there were like these social studies questions that we had never addressed. You know, and my, my students had to be able to identify it was like the World War One soldier. And there was, um, you know, so there was a picture of a re- Revolutionary World soldier, World War One, World War II, Civil War, and they had to be able to pick the right one. And then the next question in like social studies question was, how long does it take for this girl to do her hair in the morning? And there's a picture of this girl with long hair and i remember (laughs) all my students got it wrong because the answer was supposed to be 20 minutes right and my kids are all you know they're 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 picking oh that's hours right and so they 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 were picking like oh two hours yeah yeah i remember looking at it going like oh (laughs) it's it's like "Mm -mm." yeah because because that girl in that picture you don't realize it's not you right it's uh right that's good. That's my kid. And so, yes. and, and so, that, I mean, there, there, there was all this, I guess, angst and frustration of, you know, there's, there's things, what, and well, this, this assessment, and it covered other things that we didn't teach as well, too, right? So not just sort of social studies, but, right, there was this mismatch between what's getting tested and what I'm teaching and, you know, do I, you know, I, and, and me feeling like I don't even know how to teach well enough to really meet their needs and i remember feeling that you know my students needed 
like a, a, a much better version of me, which, which in my mind, I, I kind of cemented later. It's like, like my students need the, the me that's like three years later. And, and so, and it's part of what, you know, sort of gave me this, this push to really kind of follow in the footsteps of people that I saw that were, were doing that work. Right. So me really meeting their students needs. And so, and that's why, you know, I, so I followed my, you know, peers in the amp and then, you know, I see people going to, you know, like a, a, an additional group. It's like, Oh, G set. Oh, I'll join that. Um, and then I saw my peers doing their na- um, national board certification. Right. And seeing kind of what, what that gave them. And I'm like, I'm doing my national board certification. Cause I really, yeah, I, I felt like, like the best that I could deliver and, you know, and in my first year, I certainly, I, you know, I could tell that I wasn't delivering that. And it's, you know, and that's, it's, it's just kind of a hard moment where you feel like, you know, like you're not capable of yeah, doing yeah. your job. It's a, it's a tough moment where you, where you, yeah, I mean, you kind of feel inadequate, right? right? And so yeah. me moving on from there, I became a part of you know, supporting new teachers and, you know, teaching and credentialing programs and all those things. Cause I, w- I wanted to be able to, you know, support other teachers kind of going through that journey of, mm-hmm. of, you know, learning how to, how to support their students in, in the best possible way. Right. And, and especially the, the, the students that, you know, were at my school and other schools, were you know, I was connected to, it, it was, it was black and brown kids Absolutely. that really needed just the better versions of all of us. Absolutely, absolutely, and you, you and you folks, you did a great job. Just, I remember, <laughs> I remember, you, you really made it work. Um, now let's go, let's go to what most people consider the the fun question, and that is where we talk about your rings of culture, and you gotta give us two that resonate with you, like yeah, yeah. two that you vibe with. Once again, it could be age, gender, uh, ethnic, orientation, whatever, whatever, you know, we have seven that we focus on. And people th- th- always look for things that maybe people who know you and maybe at work, you're going to like hit them with something that they don't know right now as you as you talk about your rings of culture. So which two of the rings resonate for you or that you really you really feel like vibe, you vibe with? Well, um, so the first one is uh, ethnicity, culture, just because I so I come from. A, a world where, you know, I, I grew up living in two cultures. Right. And so, um, you know, and well, there's, 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 there's my mom's culture. Right. So, and growing up where she grew up in Iran. So some of it is just, you know, being a poor minority. Some of it is right. So you go to school and it's, you're using a language that's not your home language. Right. So you learn all these additional languages and then there's just different ways of interacting. And so, and, and my dad is, you know, like, like when we talk about, you know, our, the, the, the dominant culture where like that defines what the rules are in the United States. Right. So that's, that's, that's my dad's family. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and there's all sorts of times where, you know, like those, those two things, there were, there was, there was just as many collisions as there was harmony. Right. So there was, and there, and there were times where like, you know, things would baffle my, my dad. And I'm, you know, I, I distinctly remember him talking to me one time about how he was like, he's like, no, what, what, watch your mom when she's talking to her friend right now. It's like, do you, do you see how like they're both talking 70% of the time? It's like, how does that work? And for my dad, like that was a superpower because in his world, 
you know, somebody stops talking and then the other person starts talking, right? right? And right, there's, right. There, 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 there is no overlap. mixing. There is no overlap. Yeah. There is no, you know, it's like, it's very like, I stop, you go. When you stop, I go. And yeah. And so, and, and, and it's every, you know, it was just so many things from, you know, how close you got to other people. Is it okay to touch people? <laughs> how you touch people? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, just, just, just kind of growing up where that's just always different. And there's, and there's times where I remember, you know, like my mom got frustrated when sometimes we were with my dad's family because like we would spend, you know, a week with my dad's family and then go to leave. And, you know, we're standing like 10 feet apart and my sister and I like wave at my aunt and my grandmother and my mom's like, what's wrong with you? Go hug them. Right. 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 It's like, <laughs> there's, there's like, like when, when you love people, there's hugging and squeezing and touching, like there's, there's no standing 10 feet apart and right. saying right. goodbye. Um, right. Right. Would, would, would you say with your mom and dad, it was kind of like opposites attract in that, in that sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, they're, they're <laughs> just growing up. They're so remarkably different and, and, right. you know, and, and, and I, I kind of had to move back and forth between those two different worlds, but you know, it is noticeable to me that my, you know, my home culture, my mom defined my home culture, mm-hmm. right. Because, um, you know, so she, she, she stayed with us at home until we started going to school and then, you know, she started working as a nurse again, but, um, and, and, you know, and we, we, we spoke English when my dad came home. Right? right. So, you know, there was, we were speaking English, but you know, I kind of knew it's like, Oh, like dad's not here. So we're not speaking English. Um, <laughs> right. Right. And so, it, yeah, it's just, um, it's just kind of a different world. And, 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 you know, like when there were times like, you know, she said with like affection where she, she wanted us to, you know, be more like her culture, even in those situations sometimes where it's not, not welcome. Right. right. And, 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 and there's times we'd have to tell her, it's like, mom, no, this isn't, this isn't the, this is not the time and place for that. Right. 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 Um, right. Yeah. So, okay. That's okay. So we got your, your sort of bicultural. So what would be the second ring that, that resonates for you? Uh, you know, it's, um, it's age. I can't <laughs> feel because I, you, you know, and I, you know, and, but I don't want it to be, you know, but I'm not like, I'm not the, the, you know, frisky young guy that knew you before you had the DR period before your name. Right? You know, this is, <laughs> right. this is, you know, me decades later with, with two kids and, you know, um, yeah. And, 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 and it just feels surreal, right? right. But, because, you know, some of it is I, I try hard to think of, you know, am I still, am I still learning and growing the way I was decades ago. Right. Or it's like, cause, cause there's a part of me that I think about age because, you know, I don't want to be the old guy, you know, yelling, get off my lawn. Cause you know, I don't want anything to change or be different. Right. So I, I, I want to keep sort of growing and, and learning and, but it's, it's not as easy now as it used to be. Right. right. So I feel like it used to just happen. Yeah. 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 You know? But are you, I mean, if you, Folks who listen to our podcast, this age culture has been a common, you know, sort of ring of culture that people have gone to. And it's either they they have embraced it. Right. And I think it depends on like Generation X, where kind of where you fall. They they are embracing it and, and, and really kind of flowing with it. So would you say that 
as you get older, as millennial generation X or whatever it is, are you embracing it? Or are you still kind of fighting it a little bit? (laughs) Oh, uh, you know, so it's, it's a little bit of both, right? So I've, um, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of wanted to sort of learn new things and learn. Um, and so I started, um, you know, for example, uh, I, I started studying martial arts when I was in high school and I, I kind of wanted to do that again. One of the things I started in the pandemic was Tai Chi. Right. And so, um, which right. I love, but you know, I also picked something that I could do on a regular basis and not injure myself. Right. <laughs> Right. Cause, right, right, cause right, you know, right, like right. the, the stuff that I used to do where, you know, like someone was trying to kick me in the head and I was trying to kick them in the head. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. Do that. <laughs> so, right. but, but right. I want, you know, I want, I want some version of, of kind of staying fresh, but also, you know, I, I do acknowledge that I'm past 50. So. <laughs> right, yeah. right, 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 right. All right, so let's go now to one of the more, more I guess, uh, questions that people struggle with. But I don't think it's going to be a struggle for you because you are used to making cultural adaptations or, as we put it, situationally appropriateness or global dexterity, however you want to term it. Mm. Give us a time, you know, where you had to practice some type of a adaptation or situational appropriateness and you either succeeded, you were really, you know, you pulled it off or you didn't do so well. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it, it was it was interesting. That, so the challenge for me, right, because you're right, I, I, you know, I've sort of grown up doing this kind of adaptation, my my own family, right? So I, I gave this gift to my, my kids as well, too. So they're, they're kind of growing up in two different cultures as well. So right, lots of adaptation doing that. So there part of me was thinking, it's like, when is it not gone right? And, you know, I'm searching, searching. And, and then what was funny for me is I just had to admit, that it's actually pretty recent. So there was, you know, it's a new group that I'm involved in, and and uh, someone was kind of finishing what they were saying, and I was like sliding right into like, you know, be in pole position to be the next person talking, mm-hmm. and you know, but I started talking before they finished, and mm. and I got a reaction from someone like, oh no 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 like, like you you can't like i i broke a rule right and you, you know like like somebody is like holding their finger up like hold on like you can't do that and i'm like oh right oh. <laughs> it's like oh, right sorry right right i mean that's you know and and it's it's a little surreal because you know i'm 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 used to being able to adapt and spot those like like wh- whatever that cultural context is and being able to slide into it and, you know, and I just got excited. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Oh, I'm next. You know, and like, uh. was it a meeting? Was this a meeting? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And right. it was the, right. And, and, you know, and it was, it was pretty informal and, and, and comfortable. Right. And so, yeah, I was, I was happy and comfortable and I'm like ready to go. And, you know, and like there was there, you know, there was a, a, a little too much of, you know, mom's culture in there as opposed <laughs> to dad's culture. And uh, like, you know, it just it crossed a line. And, and, and the thing that I think about is, you know, like 
what was the reaction from the other people that let me know that I crossed the line, right? right? Because they, they didn't say anything, right? Right. So, you know, there was a, there was a change in posture and like the tension in the body and there was a nonverbal, you know, hand, right? And like, and all those things were signals that well, I, I, I'd crossed a cultural line. And, and, and it, it really made me think of like, like, what are those things that we do that, that, that tell people that we're within the boundaries and not within the boundaries? And so much of it is not what we say. No, right. Okay. No, absolutely. Well, I immediately just think of what happened to you happens to our students like a hundred times a day, you know, like they're, you know, <laughs> right. they're giving that look or they're giving that finger. And we talk about verbal overlap pretty much in every professional learning I do verbal overlap comes up. So yeah. it's something that occurs way more than I think people do. Like what happened to you as an adult in a professional meeting? Yeah. So I, I, I absolutely can see how it impacts students. Right. Yes. And so like, and, and so ex examples, you know, I thought of like concrete examples of, of where it kind of has, I've, I've been able to shift in depth really well. And, and, and so the thing that comes up in my mind is um, eating, because there, there, there's so many culturally appropriate ways to eat, yes. right? From, um, from you know, like, and and not just what we eat, but how we eat. It's like, do, do you use utensils or not right. utensils? And, right. And you, you, you know, and 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 it's places where you know I've been places where you know me being able to use chopsticks has sometimes surprised people, right? right. But um, I distinctly remember being at a Chinese restaurant in London. And I'm eating with chopsticks and, and the, the owner of the restaurant actually came over and, you know, told me how happy it was, uh, he was that I knew how to use chopsticks. And I didn't realize, I, I think there are a lot of people in London that don't, right? They just, they just fork it. Right. Um, but, but I remember being in high school and being at a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown in San Francisco. And like one of the people I was with asked for a fork and the waiter through the fork at the table right <laughs> and it and it kind of told me it's like oh man i better learn how to use chopsticks because yeah. right I mean, it's just and 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 then you know if you're in you know the ethiopian restaurant and you're eating with bread right this, and, and right. so it's like and i've been in other countries where you know i'm just aware you kind of looking like like so what's this food and how do you eat and oh like like so we're, we're using our hands and okay we'll go to that and and i see people that don't do that and and, you know, and for my mom, right, and her friends, there's, there's whole, there's rituals and customs around offering food and accepting food. And, and I didn't realize that I had passed those things on to my kids until my, my daughter came home and said, because so, so my mom's world, um, turning down food that's offered when you're a guest is insulting. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're, you're a guest in someone's home and they offer you something and it's not your favorite. Right. And you say, thank you. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you it, right? <laughs> and this, I mean, this was pounded into me by my mom and I didn't realize that I had passed that on to my kids because I don't remember teaching my daughter that, but, right. but clearly, she picked it up. you know, somewhere along the line that, that message was conveyed. Yeah. I mean, that's how culture works, right? It's invisible. Uh, it's like, you know, like right. I yeah. say, water to fish, right? Those are great examples, by the way. All of those are great examples. Thank you. And I never, I never even thought about, cause I don't eat with chopsticks, but I've never had a fork thrown at me either. So <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> um, okay, Ben, let's get to the last part here. We're all fighting the fight. We're all advocating yet. 
we need inspiration. We need something to pull on, right? And I always, I always say this last question with um, like, what inspires you? What moves you? What grooves you? Mm. What kind of keeps you centered in your walk, in your, in your, in your journey? Yeah. In the arts, out of the art, music, family, you know, in, that, in, the, in those contexts. Yeah. And so, so one of the things, you know, um, just kind of thinking about that, I, I think about there's, um, there was a song that I thought about when I was listening to, um, do, do you remember when there was some kind of congressional hearing about, I think it was like the hundredth year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. Right. And it, so it just happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember this, I mean, I want to say grandma, but I mean, she was like great, great grandma um, mm-hmm. speaking. Right. So she was like 103 and she was, she was talking about, you know, bottles of turpentine being, you know, firebombing kind of the city and, and, and just the trauma of that. And I remember the song that I thought about is you remember the, um, you dropped the bomb on me by the gap band. Yes, of course. Uh, yep. yep. Um, and so, right. So I've got that songs playing in my head while I'm, listening to this woman kind of share her story. Um, and then it kind of surprised me finding later on that I didn't realize that the gap band was from Tulsa and wow. And their, their, their name is, is, is after it's, it's named after like the three, um, three major streets of black, right. Um, Greenwood, Archer Pine. And, and so, right. It just, it just like felt like all that came together. And a lot of what I see now mm. Just, just because I, I remember, you know, I remember there were times when I would look for material to teach students, right? There wasn't necessarily a lot of material information, right? Or if you wanted a book on something that was about, let's, let's say, you know, a famous African American that wasn't George Washington Carver or Dr. King, right? That, that some, sometimes there just, there weren't books, right? Right. Or there was one book. Right. Um, and so, and now, you know, I feel like there's just, there's so much more inf- information, right? I feel about like, you know, I, I see what's coming out in the, the, the 1619 project and, and, you know, there's just more information out there for educators. Yep. And then, and then that connects with me that, um, so I was just listening to, is it Molly Tug, I believe? Yeah. Who talks about, um, she's talking about like, change happens in situations in, in, in our country. It's happened in places where there's both heat and light. And so I, you know, it made me think of like, like, okay, so there's, there's all this, there's all this light, there's all this information, but now there's all this heat. You've got people out there protesting on the street saying it's not okay. It's not enough. Right. Like, like we need more. Um, and I feel like all those things are coming together for me mm-hmm. and then i hear that song right okay. and you know like like i i was <laughs> i was like that song even before <laughs> i i had it in my head in that context right 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 well no certainly that adds a whole nother context to it because i i remember the song just being about a breakup isn't it like you dropped the bomb on me like you like right <laughs> i didn't know I, didn't, I, just, I always i always heard it that way but now that you've given all that context i'm hearing it totally differently right um, and that is heat and light, you know, definitely. So, yeah, I, I told, I'm with you 100%. Like, I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, that's deep. 
And you're right. There's so many more resources available. And so I feel like teachers really don't have an excuse. Like we used to go around and scramble, like you said, yeah. to try to find something. You, you just don't have to do that anymore. And so you can really and you can really enrich the experience for the students today. I feel like that more so this now than I did 20 years ago. Right. They can really. Yes. I'm not just saying because of like the internet. I'm just saying like what you just did by breaking down the gap band and the song and all of that. I think I think that's what our students need. They need that type of uh, that type of complexity, you know, that that brings nuance to it. And you, you, you know, and and I, I would share like like in my head, it's, it's all connected. Absolutely, I I would love to sort of find out, you know, is is there is there inspiration from, you know, sort of the history of the city they grew up in that that right kind of inspired that. But you know, I I also realized that you know, artists sometimes didn't share what something was really about because then, right? That's that's how you're making your living, right? And if people then don't like it and decide to not put you on the air or not buy records, then you know that's 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 impactful for you and your family, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely it generates yep. questions for you. Yep. Well, look, man, I want to say thank you so much. You you brought it. This was very, very uh, rich conversation. Thank you. I had no idea about your background. You know, that's why I love doing these podcasts. Right. All these years, I didn't know, you know, like you were in a different country until you were 10, going to different right. schools and all that. That's, that's fascinating. But it explains a lot. And so that's really, really cool. So from me, from us on the outside fighting, Ben, we want you to keep fighting on the inside for us. And uh, absolutely, let's make this world a better place. So thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Well, and 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 I should share too that it's not just me. There's there's there are there are a lot of people that are in there, kind of down for that same fight. So I'm I'm and and it's 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 part of what makes it really nice to be there. Is it's it's not just one person fighting the fight, right? There's 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 a lot of people that are willing to join together to make good things happen awesome awesome thanks a lot bro (laughs) absolutely it's good talking to you thanks ben for sharing that was awesome man you you really gave us a lot of things to think about and you threw in the gap band reference at the end that was really cool because I'm not even sure I knew that history, but in some ways, I think I've heard that history. I read about it, I think, on the show that was featured on HBO, which I can't think of the title right now. That was about, you know, it kind of was about that Tulsa history with um, Regina King. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. But anyway, I think I read an article that referenced that. But you thanks for dropping that knowledge, brother. That was that was very good. And then also, as I've told you folks over the year, over the two years, one of the reasons why I enjoy doing the podcast is I get to meet people in ways that I would have that I haven't ordinarily met them. And Ben's whole history of, you know, his upbringing and such, I, that was new information to me. I never knew that. And, you know, like I said, I've been working with him. I have been working with him since um, the late 90s, early 2000s. So it's always cool just to learn about somebody different like that. So thanks, Ben. And uh, keep fighting the fight for us all in the belly of the beast. And uh, I want to I want to thank you listener for being with us as we now go into our third season, right? Yay, third season. And you know how we do it. We start each new season with a personal episode. So I'm going to bring you the personal episode, a little insight into Dr. Holly's personal side. And I'll bring on a I'll bring on a guest who can maybe share some things that you might not know. 
Um, so please, please, please be looking forward to that personal episode and the beginning of uh, our third season. So we're really, we're really happy and excited about about that. We also want to acknowledge and give some props to finally the publishing of uh, Dr. Dan Daniel Russell's book and and our book, our co-author, our partnership around PBIS. It's called Supporting Underserved Students: How to Align Your Culture Responsive to PBIS. And it's uh, authored by myself and Dr. Daniel Russell, longtime colleague who actually used to teach with Ben Kingsbury at 99th Street School. So I see it all comes full circle, but it's something that's been in the works and we've been promoting it. But we I physically got the books, you know, so I know it's being published and people have been hitting us up with congratulations and all that. So. If you want some perspective on what we're doing, and especially in the context of your PBIS school or district, please, please check out this text published by Solution Tree. And once again, it's called Supporting Underserved Students. I want to thank the editing team once again for the awesome job making Ben and I sound so good, taking out the all the uhs and hums. Much appreciated. Much love. And I want to dedicate this to the educrats. Why not? Right. You know, Ben pointed out in his interview, there are a lot of people in the machine that's trying to advocate for our underserved students. So I know I'm kind of hard on the bureaucracy. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, we got a lot of love for those of you who are fighting the fight inside. And we need you to keep doing it while we do it outside. And just maybe one day, you know, we will get to that place where we're trying to get for for all students. That's who we're dedicating the episode to. I want to say in closing, stay fabulous, stay safe. Go give somebody some outrageous love.